Welcome. It is the Ski Bomb Podcast, and it is your pals, Mario and Ryan. Mario, what's up? Not much. Just uh, recalling after Snowbound Festival, which was amazing, and getting on with Thanksgiving. It's in Turkey. There's a lot going on right now. Yeah, it was Snow's a... Snow's falling. People it was a racing. Great- crazy recovery week this week we had an awesome time at snowbound if you stop by and say hello thank you we do appreciate it that was awesome met some cool new people met some some fans of the show (laughs) got a little bit of a perhaps a special treat to bring back for the holiday season to make things a little greener and warmer perhaps yes yeah it was an awesome time we had actually talked to a friend of ours up there who is part of our main topic. We had an interview with our pal, Mike Chait, who is the communications manager at J Peak Resort in Vermont. Yeah. I met him a few months ago, actually last month, back in October. We had a really cool conversation, trying to go back and forth, trying to make our this interview happen. We saw him again up in Boston, finally made the conversation happen. And it's a cool story. Yeah, he went from a dude living out in the Midwest outside in Chicago uh, to finding a bunch of jobs in the ski industry in Vermont. So we think you really dig this interview. He's a really good guy. Tons of cool information, informative, positive, inspiring. So stay tuned for that. Got to go to Peak this year. Indeed. Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. Send us an email, skibumpodcast at gmail.com. If you're on the website too, there's a shop skibombpodcast.com slash shop this limited edition red boots t-shirt available we think it's pretty sweet we wore these up in boston and we are giving folks the opportunity to grab it because a lot of people were super into it until december 1st actually november 30th you have to order these this is going to come out on monday the 28th so you hear this you'll still have two days Go to the website, skibumpodcast.com slash shop. Should be the first thing you see there. We also got new hats. We got black versions of this hat. We got some beanies. We got some other stuff in there. We finally have a little bit of swag available. That one is not in the shop yet, but I have to get it in there. That's a good one. That's a teaser. It's almost like the the under the ropes hat. If there was an under the ropes hat, that would be that one. That's yeah. We got to do an under the ropes uh, episode soon. Yeah, we had some we had some good conversations. Got the ideas churning up in Boston. A lot of yes, ideas. A lot of ideas. Hit us up uh, on the socials: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Untapped, YouTube, at Skibum Podcast. Also Patreon. We have finally launched our Patreon page. Folks have been Boom. wondering. Hey guys, you do an awesome show. We love what you do. How can we give you money? And for the longest time, we were too stupid to have a good answer for that, which is why. Right. So now we have our Patreon set up. Finally, patreon.com slash podcast. It's all linked on the website if you forget any of this valuable information. Also, if you're on the website, subscribe to our, our email. We've been sending out more emails lately because we feel like we have information and things to share. Whenever we have a new episode, we'll send the link with some notes, some thoughts. I'm going to smash that goddamn uh, <laughs> sound machine. I'm going to fly Love down that, don't you? smash that. Things have been going yeah. on for a while. A lot of stuff. A lot of good stuff going on right now. We have, You know, this 
Snowbound Expo. I know we've been talking about it at nauseum for the last month, but it really was a great event and gave us a lot of inspiration and ideas and chatted with some people who gave us a lot of awesome information. Like how about Dan Egan giving you 15 minutes of marketing advice? I mean, Dan Egan gave us a masterclass in 15 minutes. Masterclass, which I mean, uh, he is the most generous, kind, awesome person in the ski industry. So I love Dan. Bought Dan's books or watched his videos. Please go do that too. Yeah. I think that's everything. Is that everything? YouTube? Eh, you know, you know what to We're do. We're everywhere that podcast are, smart. are. Let's put it that way. And how about we Literally. give a big shout out to our sponsor, The Chuck Bucket. This Chuck episode brought to you by The Chuck Bucket, a brand new ski rack from a startup out of Salt Lake City, Utah. It's a trailer hitch rack that's designed to hold eight pairs of skis or four plus snowboards, but be simple to load for the whole family and easy for anyone to install and uninstall from the hitch. So check it you out. Gotta at, do it straight out of Salt Lake. Uh, yeah, rendition form. Indeed, go to thechuckbucket.com. T H E C H U C K B U C K E T dot com. Nothing fancy, nothing cute. Thechuckbucket.com. Boucher. Chuck no, Boucher. Don't confuse people. It's very simple. Bucket. For anyone who likes to shred the off season, they also just launched a bike rack that works with their modular. Ski Rack platform available for pre-order at thechuckbucket.com. They have your trailer hitch. You have the base piece that goes up. You take the bucket off. You put on the bike rack. You got four bikes. I got fingers. I got four fingers. You go boom along the back of your SUV. You're riding bikes. You can do fat bikes. You can do not fat bikes. You can do skinny girl bikes. Whatever bikes you have. They fit on there. Like skinny teeny bikes. Whatever you got. Bikes, beach cruisers, BMX bikes. Do they make those anymore? I don't even know. Check them out. BMX. When was the last time you rode a BMX bike? Um, before I was on my own insurance. That's for I'm sure. Saying. That's yeah. what I'm saying. You're on somebody else's insurance. You're BMXing the shit out of that's that. That's when you're BMXing. Check them oh. out at chuckbucket.com. Thank you so much. Mario, let's kick this off the way we always do. It's time for our pray today. So this will be my last operate today, or my almost last operate today. Oh boy, I've operated a lot today. This oh is, boy, this is what I do. It's a Saturday, right? It's a weird Saturday night podcast we're recording here. It is, and it's like kind of like there's football going on, but it's like a. I feel like I'm on vacation because like I'm on my third day off. It's Thanksgiving weekend, and it's everything's everyone's just off in general. Too much sugar. I love it though. I get to catch fan. up on sleep. It's a big thing. Brian and I had like a whole half hour talking about like how I just like look forward to sleep. Bad, but I don't I don't know what's happened to me. Sleep is good. I think I've gone with no sleep for so long. I'm trying to catch up now. Yeah, uh, sleep is good. So anyway, I went with the uh and I sent you the uh the image of the pumpkin Southern Tier has on their website. So oh, nice. <laughs> that would be a great Halloween costume, I gotta say. You could be the pumpkin. You're the pumpkin. So it looks um, almost like like Vlad the Impaler and with a pumpkin head. A pumpkin head. A pumpkin head Vlad. A good look. And a crown. A black crown, too. Not even like a, a, a golden crown. No, black crown. Like it, it's like, keep Van, it, like Vanta Black. Yeah, they're keeping it dark. Like well, this is the more pumpkin black. nitro again. I had this once before on the podcast, but this I is pretty sweet. So I, I think you may be the pumpkin now. The reason I had this again was we had... I made a nice uh, stew. So I got a nice shoreline steak, made it, made a whole 
big thing. Um, it was like a beef tip stew. And I put it in the hot pot and everything like that. So it was nice. Had the kids over, did a whole, you know, jamboree. It was, it was great. And um, finished off with some pumpkin pie. And I was looking forward to the pumpkin pie so much. I'm like, I'm breaking out this pumpkin on nitro to have with the pumpkin pie. Great pairing. It was That's weird. It was pumpkin. like I was drinking the pumpkin pie and eating the pumpkin pie. Could you have made a, like a milkshake out of it? Like the pie and the pumpkin and the blender? You know, I think that's the next step. And that might be leftovers tomorrow because I have another pumpkin in the fridge that I could probably do that with. But this 8.6 ABV. I didn't realize that. It was a beefy one. That's no joke. That's why uh, it's the king. That's why it's, it's not the squire. It's not the prince. <laughs> goddamn king. Exactly. So rich, creamy, full pumpkin spices, buttery crust, vanilla, roasted pecans. Those are the tasting notes they put on their websites. I don't get the buttery crust. I get the vanilla, I get a little pecan, I get pie spices, and I get pumpkin, which is good. What I like about it, it's not that fake pumpkin flavor that you get a lot of places. It's like a net, it's like a real pumpkin flavor. So I'm a big fan of it. That's why he's the king, you know, because he's got the flavor down right. He's not trying yeah. to kill you with fakeness. Mm. He's keeping it real. He's a man of the people. He is the people's king. The pumpkin king. king. Now I did get a Hershey's Porter that I was thinking about mixing with the pumpkin. Who makes that? Is that Yingling? That's a Yingling. Yingling. That's so weird. I got a batch of those this week. I saw it out. I was like, and this is Yingling territory down in Florida here. So they bought one of the old Budweiser breweries and they. It's so crazy because they're based out of Pennsylvania. I know, but they, they brew a shitload here. So it's like, wow, it's down here. And I remember reading about that. Like we covered it. I had one of those this week and it was actually pretty good, but I think that Porter with this, I don't know if I should mix the beers or do a floater. Like, I don't know, black and tan with the Porter and the, it might be too sweet though. I don't know. You got some options. Got options. You've got some options, right? But that's what I'm doing over here in Florida. What are you up to up there in New Jersey, Brian? I like it. Well, like we've talked about, we had a very busy, crazy weekend up in Boston. Oh, yeah. And that Saturday night, man, we were out late. Like, I'm like, I don't go out anymore. Like, I just don't do it. It's just not a thing. We were out to like almost one in the morning. We were out yeah. having some drinks. It wasn't crazy. It's not like we were like, you know, falling down in the streets or anything. It was just that helped the destruction of me because I'm just like lack of sleep. You know what it was? It was just there was a lot of stuff going on all day. And then we went out with our pals from Terracia. A lot of fun. Though. Awesome. It was a great time. We had some fun shenanigans. <laughs> Which that bar? That, Harmless shenanigans too. That bebop bar was actually super cool. Yeah. Those if fun. you like live music, that was a really cool spot. Plus you have like the Berkeley school of music right there. So, you, you know, you're going to get some, was that some, the city, uh, city place or whatever it was called. Which place? Oh, it was the bebop, uh, bar. Bebop was the bar. Yeah. And but the Berkeley School of Music is like right around the corner. That's like where some you know there's some amazing musicians have have gone to school there. Yeah. So it's like an all music school. That was fun, and you know like we had to push on. We like had to you know do our thing on Sunday. I had a four and a half hour drive home Sunday night, back to work on Monday. Like an eight hour flight. For Kids me. were sick. <laughs> you had delays because you were flying. <laughs> So I was like, I was doing everything I could to keep it together because my son was sick when we went to Boston. I, I talked about it in the past. I had that 
I think it's called Organifi, that green juice, but it's like a powder. You mix it with water. I had I had packets packed for Boston. So every day I had my little packet of green juice that I was mixing. I had uh, liquid IVs that I was packing. I was just trying to keep my my immune system as jacked up as possible. I didn't get sick. Next time we got to go for one of those IV therapy places. That's That's a bad idea. Finish it off. Just coup de grace. Just do that. Bang. Got through Boston. Got home. Everyone's sick at home. Thanksgiving, we had like actually had like a quarantine shitty Thanksgiving because we couldn't go because my daughter was sick. Oh. So now I think it's finally hitting me because I just lack of sleep. I play, you know, doing stuff on the website, posting stuff. I am in T mode right now. Mm. I am in traditional medicinals, throat coat. Oh, but throat coat. It, that means it's bad. Eh, it's, it's, I could tell it has the potential to be bad. It's almost like, if you had a weather control machine and you saw a hurricane forming in the Atlantic and you're like, Hey man, should I let this play out? Like it's going to, or should I intervene and try to stop it? Like if you had a giant bucket of, you know, if you were God and a giant bucket of ice cubes and you could like chuck it on the hurricane to quell it or let it run its course. Do you I'm trying to chuck that traditional bucket. medicinals settles all. It's some. Um, it's as hardcore as you can get with tea. I like the so, Gypsy Cold Care. That's my favorite. Gypsy Cold Care, solid too. But this is the throat coat, and yeah. I put in some Grand Marnier. And mm. for those listeners who have listened to us over the past year, thank you. And I was talking about Grand Marnier earlier this year because I was putting it in tea every night. Back in January, I bought a handle Grand Marnier, and it's like two thirds gone, which is better it's than only the two thirds. I thought we'd be done with it by now. Yeah, the pace I was on in January was a little bit concerning. Dial it I back. thought you would have hit up Costco by now for another handle. Well, I'll tell you, if you're doing mimosas, a little splash of that is awesome. Margaritas, like idea. Grand Marnier is solid. Oh, tomorrow is Sunday. Old fashioned could be. I could I could throw that in the uh, in the mimosas tomorrow. If you're making old fashions, I'm just saying. You could throw a little bit of Grand Marnier in there to give it a nice little, little uh, je ne sais quoi, I believe they call it. Not bad. I'd recommend it. But yeah, got my Grand Marnier, which is cognac and orange liqueur for those who aren't oh. familiar, who aren't down with the GM. Uh, I got that in my tea and it's going to get me through this podcast, which luckily is a short one and a wrapper because we already did the interview yeah. a couple days ago with our pal nice. Mike Chait from Peak. Thank you, Mike, again. Good dude. Let's go to Ski News. So this is a Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend. It's going to be out Monday. Michaela Schiffrin came in 13th in the Giant Solomon at Killington. The fact that Killington pulled it off again is absolutely awesome. The new lodge is open down at the base, which is so cool. Oh, was it open? I think it was open. They were talking about it it on the broadcast. I know Tim, our buddy from Ski Rex, he's there. There was talk that it might not be open yet. They were like, it's there kind was, of on the They cusp, were like but... installing the escalator a week and a half ago. And I don't know if permitting or what had to get done. I'm sure some palms had to get greased. <laughs> That's to right. Take care of business because this is a big event. Hey, but forget about it. Look the weather the was way. great today. I mean, it, I think they said it was 40 degrees. Oh, wow. In the sun was great, but most of the race course was in the shade. That's so good. that was awesome. So it was like best of both worlds for everybody. I was watching Tim's uh, Twitter this morning. He said it was like 28 or something. He was, he was pretty cold. 
which oh, wow. <laughs> of course because it is a ski yeah. race so it should be uh so yeah so that's going on so we're recording this i don't know what's gonna happen sunday you'll know ready when you listen to this after monday places are finally opening up all over the place snowbird big sky jackson hole grand Targhee, beaver creek crested butte all of them opened in the last couple of days yeah mount hood delayed due to lack of snow very concerning Ooh. but Delay. how about hamburg new york they about had a record 81.2 inches of snow setting oh. a new york record this happened almost a week ago now but this was like in Boston. This was the big story. Everybody was talking about it, which was funny and kind of cool. And I think Andrea was showing us a picture. They were measuring the snowfall based on Buffalo Bill players, which is uh, hilarious. Yes, yeah, so I saw that. Singletary, that awesome. I guess, was like 5'7". So they were showing yeah. he's like he's like covered. And then yeah. Josh Allen was like almost covered at the time. And one guy who was like super tall, like he still could see his, you know, nose and up. But uh, Hamburg, New York, which is about... 10 miles, 5, 10 miles south of Buffalo yeah. had an official storm total of 81.2 inches. Damn. Wednesday night through Sunday, and this surpasses the total by Orchard Park of 80 for the most recent lake effect snow emergency. They also surpassed the 2014 lake effect snow event in the Buffalo South Towns by a few inches, although the wind was a bit less. Hamburg also smashed the record for most snow in a 24-hour period in New York, receiving 66 inches in 24 hours. Previous record was 50, set in Camden in 1966. Hmm. So this was an absolute monster storm. Yeah, that's... I don't know exactly how the ski resorts fared, because Holiday Valley is just a little bit south of there. Powder Day at Holiday Valley, man. They're roughly, they're roughly an hour south. But they got. They're saying they have a four to twenty inch base right now. Damn, which is pretty good. And if you go to University of Buffalo, which is where I went, that was one of the places that the Schistmeister Ski Club would go to, and you can go enjoy that twice a week, I think, at night and once during the during the day. So, Look at that. Yeah, a lot of fun. Man. Nice little ski area. So it's funny. They're showing that, you know, their snowfall totals. They have 50 inches so far for the season. So I'm guessing Damn. that snow dumped about four feet on them. Damn. But it sounds like it must have, I mean, it must have had a warmer week this week because it's saying the depth is only four to 20. I don't understand that unless they had an earlier snowstorm. But yeah, because of the snow, it's helping. It's helping out over there in Western New York and some of those, those Western ski towns. Which Good is for them. Yeah, it's awesome. Good way to start the season. Awesome. All right, next up, in another side of things, we have Park City Mountain Ski Lift Mechanics Unionize. And this is the first in the U.S. for a group to do this. So it's official. Very interesting. In Park City, Lift Maintenance Professional Union has officially formed. It was a vote. That was cast uh, out of 41 eligible voters, 35 to 6 vote. They cast it. They're going to pick union head. It's going to be interesting. We'll see where it goes. So Park City Mountain Vice President, COO Deirdre Walsh, said a statement that the outcome was disappointing, but that she appreciated people taking the time to vote and respected the decision. So, of course, because she's going to have to work with the union now. Uh, (laughs) The results were certified by... NLRB, I have no idea what that is, National something, 
whatever, whatever. Um, and it has labor laws and bargain and good faith and represent the selected uh, by lift mechanics and electricians. So it's lift mechanics and electricians in the same thing. So this is interesting because electricians usually have pretty solid unions throughout. And it is the lift operators in the same union with electricians. So, so that isn't like the Teamsters, is it? No, Teamsters are separate. Uh, electric usually has its own. That's the interesting thing. They're like the electricians are in with the mechanics. So uh, usually mechanics are, I think mechanics are usually Teamsters. Mm-hmm. And electricians are usually uh, another big union. So. They have a pretty cool logo, the United Professional Ski Patrol of America. I guess that's part of it. That's like the overarching group. Oh, all right. And it's it looks like the you know it's the red background with the white cross, but nice. the horizontal cross is like two shaking hands. Two with one guy giving the other guy like just slipping like a hundred in there. A couple of hundred. There's a hundred in the middle of the handshake. <laughs> <laughs> hey, perhaps maybe it's a guy or a girl. I don't know what it is, but I didn't it's somebody. See nothing. With, That's all I know. C note in between the two. All I know is I didn't see nothing. I didn't see nothing. And there's a guy in the background looking the other way. Yeah. <laughs> Profile the person like looking the other way. Nick it says the new union will contain both lift mechanics and electricians and will operate under the United Professional Ski Patrols of America, which is an arm of the Communications Workers of America. So if Tony Soprano were real and alive, would he be able to go in there and be like, yeah, I took the lift all night, went skied the whole place. Mitt Romney is the Tony Soprano of Utah. Oh, yeah. Perhaps, maybe. Mitt Romney day. Yeah. Woke up this morning, got yourself another wife. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boom, boom. The reason why Mitt Romney's family, well, his dad... They're, the Romney clan is based down in Mexico. Yeah. And that was the reason why... His dad was born in Mexico, right? Yeah, it's the reason why his dad couldn't run for president. It's because he was born in Mexico. You know what's messed up? When he ran for, for, for president, they painted him to be some white supremacist. And it's like, you realize his dad was from Mexico, <laughs> a bunch of idiots. Like, Yeah, but the reason why his dad moved down there, or like his family moved down there in the first place, was so they could have multiple wives. Because they could have polygamy. Yeah. So who, who wants another wife? Dude, had a wife. Nobody with a wife <laughs> wants more wives. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. Like, I don't know how they like, they must be trained in how to deal with women. Cause I don't, I don't know. I mean, a, uh, a girlfriend or two on the side. Hey, you know, still raise me down. That, isn't that's it, a lot of, it that's Friday? A lot. What is it? Fridays are for the wives. Saturdays are for the girlfriends. Is that what it was from the Goodfellas? Even that, that's a lot to lot to keep track of. It's I don't lot, know, dude. Like, I mean, sleep is awesome. As you said before, and skiing. Like, think about how much I would cut into your skiing schedule. Having a girlfriend and a wife. I was watching something, and Mel and I are watching this show, and the guy's like talking to. The, he's married. And he's talking to this other girl. Apparently, he's like, "Oh, I'll come see you in a little bit." And I'm like, "You know the freaking energy it takes. Like, there's a lot of stuff I could do." with that extra time that they're taking to do all this other stuff. Like, I don't know. They're. Younger you is is disappointed in you. I'm I'm a little disappointed, but I'm a little happy that I'm not there. I have one wife. That's it. All I deal with one girl. I'm not on Bumble and Tinder. I got one girl. Ashley Madison. 
I don't, yeah, I don't have to deal with anything. <laughs> it is a lot easier. That's for yeah. sure. I can yeah. focus in on like living life rather than like trying to find someone to live my life with. It's weird. Yeah. I don't know. No, I think I we should it. have our own dating app, like ski dating app. We think ski bum dating app. It's going to be like 90% dudes. It would be That's dudes hooking up with dudes to go skiing. Just bro <laughs> That's downs. It. That's right. Bro down. That's what we'll call it. We'll call it bro down. <laughs> bro down. You broed me. So it'd be the grinder of ski apps. Broed me. <laughs> call it grind and wax. <laughs> grind and wax. <laughs> grind and wax. Oh my God. Right? It just get, gets more horrible as you, like you start it like with good intentions and all of a sudden it just goes into some other direction. You're like, this isn't what I started. Like you are the champion of this kind of ski dating app that it just is, spirals out of control. You know, you gotta just, it's just like the ocean, man. You gotta ride the wave. You'd be like, whatever, man. I'm just, just, just gotta great. ride it. It's all you can do. <laughs> well, speaking of doing all you can do, Ski Magazine had a cool article about the 14 new chairlifts we're looking forward to riding this winter. Oh, looking so, forward you know, to. Whistler delayed their gondola, Park City canceled lifts, and Keystone, they squashed their terrain expansion. But there are some capital improvements that are happening. Whitefish, they added the Snow Ghost Express. All right, I got to say in all seriousness, when are we going to Whitefish? We oh, got to do a Whitefish trip. I know. I know. Not gefilte fish. No, I want Whitefish. <laughs> not gefilte. <laughs> not salmon, not trout. Whitefish. I want I Whitefish. Whitefish. There you go. So yeah, they're replacing their chair four, which has been in service since 1978. Damn. Ride time will be a scant seven minutes, which is nice. Rip's ride at Breckenridge being replaced with a high-speed quad. Serves beginner terrain, and this crucial lift will help disperse skiers out of the popular Peak 8 base. Base-to-base gondola and Red Dog Quad Palisades Tahoe. So So, the Palisades to Alpine Meadows is finally completed. Wow. They've been talking about this since at least 2016. So no confusion. Like, can't they put like in parentheses um, formerly squaw for a little while? Because every time I see Palisades, I got to like do the translation in my head. Like, what was that before? No, you need, just, you need to just change everything instantly. I think I should just look at it as a brand new ski area that just <laughs> popped up out of nowhere in Tahoe. How about I that? wonder how many times Johnny Mosley has said squaw since they've changed it. It's got to be hard. I mean, they probably have a shock collar on life saying it, right? They probably have a shock collar on him. When he's yeah. about to say, it's like, squat, squat, it gets like fried. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Palisades Tahoe. <laughs> yeah, go to squat. No, I mean, Palisades Tahoe. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> and eventually Johnny will get it. Yeah. That's eventually. December 17th. Whistler Creekside Gondola. It's delayed, but it That's apparently delayed, will right? open this season. What's that? That was delayed, right? That the, was a uh, delayed one, but it's apparently going to open this season at some point. Hmm. Game Creek Express and Sundown Express at Vail. We got two upgrades there. Help skiing in the bowls. Are they allowed to call it Vail still? They still are. Right, as, of, as of this morning, it's still able to be called Vail. <laughs> Grand Targi, first new lift and terrain expansion in over 20 years. The Damn. Coulter lift will debut on Peak Mountain 
and access 600 acres of former cat skiing or hike to terrain. You know, that's that's awesome. But I'm sure some people are like unhappy about it because like now you get fat people up on the mountain again. I don't, I don't know. know. My sister was actually at Grand Targhee a couple of days ago and she Where had she? Some pictures, of course. I think it was yesterday. Nice, of course. Yeah. She's well, living your dream. She is living my dream. Actually. <laughs> she she really is. Dating this hunky guy, going skiing all the time, you know, just living my dream. But she's going to die alone. So that's on her. Damn, that's that's cold blooded right there. Yeah, well, we're playing. We're we're oh, starting to fight dirty at this point. Unless the hunky guy steps up. Well, he has brain damage, which is the only way he could date my sister. Like, that's, damn it, that's seriously. Damn like, no brain damage. That's not good. Nope. So Grand Targhee, and how about good old Mount Snow, yeah. the Sundance Express? It is replacing the Sundance and Tumbleweed fixed grip lifts with a high speed six pack which will increase huh. uphill capacity by a whopping 70% and greatly oh, ease whopping. base area congestion. Nice. Now, Mount Snow has some base area congestion. So this is... No, it ain't so, necessary. right? Oh, God. I still remember. It must have... I think it was February 2013. Oh, the freezing cold. Oh, my God. Almost two hours away for that stupid bluebird. That was the coldest I've ever been. I think I, think I was so. contemplating peeing myself just to get warm. Yeah. We all, had that, we all had that thought. That was bad. Telluride. Chair 9. Plunge lift. So their opening day is actually the day we're recording this. 26th. They are going to open this new lift. Is it saying it's actually open yet? So it used to be an old fixed grip triple. Hmm. Which is being retired and a new high speed quad is taking its place. The new lift will nearly half the current ride time, taking it down to a brisk seven minutes, and it's going to open late in December. But Heavenly, you can still call mm. it Heavenly, right? Out in California, the North Bowl Express, replacing the old fixed grip triple that's been hauling skiers for decades. The upgrade will increase uphill capacity by 40% and help to ease congestion at nearby stagecoach and Olympic lifts. You know, we got to go back and do Heavenly because we were such a bunch of bitches when we went there. It was great because it opened our minds to like skiing out west. Like that was one of the, that was the first place I skied out west. Yeah, that's what and got I was me like, into skiing. I was such a prissy little bitch. I didn't know what to do. And it's like, I go, I want to go back there and just, I want to, I want to do, do it right. The, uh, what, gun, uh, gun barrel? Gun barrel, yeah. I want to do gun barrel top to bottom because I could do it now. Like 100%. I was so afraid of like, Going off course into that. Yeah. We were, we were boys then, and now we are men. Just, I was, we were like little women. <laughs> <laughs> like a couple of little broads over here. Little broads over there. Yeah. Sundance Resort in Utah. The Wildwood Quad and Terrain Expansion. They're amplifying beginner and intermediate terrain for the season, unveiling 40 new acres featuring 10 green and blue trails accessed by a fixed grip Wildwood Quad. TBD, Comstock Express at North Star in California. The Tahoe Resort is zeroing in on improving skier flow on a mountain choke point with the upgrade of the Comstock Quad to a high-speed six-pack. They should be open now, and this new lift should be open as well. And then last one, the Sunrise Express at Stowe, Vermont. Replacing a fixed-grip 
mountain triple with a sunrise high-speed six-seater will likely have a positive effect on queues at the Mansfield base this winter. The resort has also extended the lift down the Mansfield base lodge, eliminating the annoying hike. Why don't you want to hike? I like to hike because it weeds out a lot of people. Yeah, but it's not really a hike. It's like a flat walk. It's not really. That's right. It still weeds out a lot of people. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. But (laughs) you still got to pay for parking and make your reservations. And hopefully you did already. Otherwise, you're not getting parking because that's a big thing happening at Stowe this winter. So check out those new chairlifts. Hopefully somebody tested them first. So you're not the first. You're not the crash test dummy. Yeah, like at what point do you want to be on there first, right? Like you don't want to be first chair. I don't know. Some people are all excited, like we in the first chair. Like give it a few. You're actually, give you know, you're actually the first test chair that we're putting up there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you didn't look the fine print on your lift ticket. Yeah. Hey, we get your free lift ticket today. Great. You're riding the first chair. Well, we were there when the Bluebird opened at Mount Snow, right? Yeah. The game and everybody of- wanted to get the uh, the golden chair. Remember golden the, chair. the golden shower chair, whatever it was called. <laughs> golden <laughs> was... shower chair. <laughs> and then, of course, the, the first day we're there, somebody's like trying to like gets caught for like putting graffiti on it. Like it's just like, couldn't smoke in there. Like people were just very, they're very proud. Like, I don't know how type. to act on this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Am I allowed to enjoy this? <laughs> no, no, you're not. Nice. Just sit there and shut up. Yeah. Uh, crazy. All right. Next up, we have a French. Village. Speaking of sitting down and shutting up. Yeah, that's right. It's a village in the French Alps. Demolish and ski lift because there's no snow left. After several squeaks, the rusty wheel was wrenched from the tarnished white pole that once proudly stood on mountainside. The French Alpine village of St. Fermin. Fermin. Uh, Fermin. To bid farewell to the ski lift as a small team worked to dismantle it late last month. The reason it hasn't been used for years because there's no more snow. So they're saying global warming happened and the elected official, they said, we're going to give it back to nature because the snow hasn't been hitting very well. And they decided to get rid of their, their lift. So while it once enjoyed regular winter snowfalls, things had deteriorated in recent decades. And they're saying because of global warming, the French European ski resort climate crisis is blamed for shortening ski seasons and reducing mountain snow and glacier cover. So lack of snow meant the last time it ran was about 15 years ago. And for just one weekend since then, it has not been used again. So finally they tore it down decided to, to put some more grass in its place and and that's it. I don't know what they're going to do with it. Yeah, that was, it's, it's kind of a bummer to see something like that. And wh- again, while we were at Snowbound, if you guys are drinking, every time we talk about Snowbound, like you guys have been hammered the last month. We know that. Oh, here but we, go. we had a, yeah, say Mario's got the shirt on. We did have a great panel that we hosted, you know, talking about, climate change and how things are changing especially in the alps um with uh with hugh james who actually was on two of the panels there and had a really good presentation and showing some pictures over the last couple decades specifically in france because he's from wales and showing mont blanc and a lot of those areas where usually folks would be ice climbing showing just how much of that permafrost is receding and and melting and it's it's a little scary 
So yeah, I kind of think about it like as he's telling the story, like at the permafrost, like so. If anybody doesn't know, the way it's explained is the permafrost is the freezing of the ground, where um, the ground is the the frozen ground is actually holding it together. So once it starts thawing out, you actually get these rock slides, not just like not just snow. It's the rock starts sliding because the permafrost melts, and there's nothing really to bind the 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 rock and and uh, earth together. So it just slides. So what you actually have are the collapsing of some of these big mountains. Like it's pretty, pretty amazing to think about it. Like if you don't have the permafrost, some of these mountains are just going to crumble down. So yeah, what was the example of how it, it wasn't like stalactites, was it? N- oh, uh, there was some example he gave in terms of like, almost like teeth. They or- did like the teeth together. So stalactites and stalagmites coming together. Yeah. And, what happens is they start like separating and getting loose. And then all of a sudden, but I think that's what they were talking about. Um, a lot of slides, right? So like, that's where the slide. It's not like happens. a clean, a clean collapse or a clean break. It's like a slide yeah. off. Right. Um, uh, but they were saying it's like, it's not just snow. Like you see stuff that's rock and it starts sliding and you just have boulders and shit. Like it was pretty terrifying. Like some of the videos he had were, just rocks just coming down boulders like coming down like the size of you know half of a car just come tumbling down like that's pretty that's pretty terrifying so if you're a rock climber or you're hiking and yeah ice climbers to see it like year to year the big change yeah is uh is concerning but i i thought it was very interesting where so something like this they're talking about so they got rid of the list because um because there hasn't been snow in their area. Right. So one of the examples he gave was there's a train that runs, I think in France, right. Where they have steps that go down to the glacier. So you can see the glacier. So it used to be in the 1800s or whenever it was, you you can, you can step off the train onto the glacier now because of the receding of the glaciers, they have these steps and now it's like, was a hundred something steps. Yeah. So, you get winded going down to see the glacier and then you come back up to the train. So it's pretty interesting to see that, but isn't that like a normal occurrence of what a glacier does? Like just over time, isn't that going to happen? So it kind of, it kind of goes both ways. That's what I don't know. Like, that's the thing. Like I'm not going to not planting my flag anywhere. Like I just know things do change and, and I don't know how much of it is what we do versus what, you know, the earth does. But, yeah. you know, it's just something, again, to, I, I don't think it's, I think there's, the more data you get, the better it is. Well, I think what we're doing is not good, but I got to wonder. It's not the only reason though. But, but I got to wonder the motivation. So for some of this, right, they're saying, well, we have to do a better job because we want to protect the ski industry. But I almost wonder, is the ski industry part of the problem? Right. Like Very I positive. love skiing. I'm always going to ski, but do I need a resort to be there to go skiing? Do or I need you, condos and fancy? Yeah. Fancy. Exactly. Infrastructure and all this other stuff mm-hmm. built on a mountain that was never meant to have that. Like it's great for business and they want to protect it, but what are we really protecting? Are we protecting the environment or are we really protecting the industry that lives off of that environment? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so 
I don't know. It's a yin and yang. I, I like the fact that they're ambassadors for, for, for trying to keep the environment going and, and, and everything. But I almost wonder, I don't know. I just kind of think there's something else there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, to, uh, again, I think as long as you keep talking about it, I think that's, that's important to, um, and I think to kind of dig in and understand people's motivations, you know, yeah. like you kind of alluded to, because I think over the last couple of years, if you have followed the money, you could find the answers to a lot of the questions. Yeah. And I think that's just human nature. And that's something that I think it's, it's very cute and romantic to ignore. But if you really want to find the truth in things, that's often the best way to find it. Well, Hugh did a great job. And if you, you want to look up his work and, and we're trying to get him on the podcast, actually, I reached out to him. Yeah. What I like what he said about if, you know, he's out uh, walking on paths when, when they're hiking or something like that. And you want to stay on the path and people are like, well, the path is very destructive. He's like, but it's already destroyed. So why would you want to go off the path and destroy more? Like, cause people are like, Oh, I don't want to really kill this, uh, you know, kill the environment more. I want to walk on, you know, a different route. Like why do a different route? Just do the same route because it's less destructive because it's already destroyed. Right. So I kind of get that. Like, and he's, I kind of like where he's coming from. He's a little bit more realistic on, on a few things that he said. Um, what I liked but, about the two conversations. So the one with Hugh and then the one with, um, the panel. Cordera. Yeah. I liked how all of his, everything he had was all very scientific. Yeah. It wasn't just like, Hey man, we should do this and we should do that. It was, Hey, we should do it. And here is the evidence of why, because he had a, a great chart. Well, it was a terrible chart, but it was a great chart to show yeah. the, uh, it had a, maybe over the last, what, 50 years. And it showed the snowfall and the, the amounts in New Hampshire, mm -hmm. like how, and they showed, you know, there was like spikes up and downs across that time, but the general trend was less snow. Yeah. And I think data like that is, is data you can't really argue against because it's like, Hey, this is just what it was. Like, we're not trying to argue for anything. We're just trying to predict the snow, but this is what in predicting the snow we have come across. Like this is a, the right. information we've, you know, got but that's all I'm, I'm thinking like you know so that next level is you say i don't want to be destructive to the environment so let's be less destructive but then you start asking the question why are we going there anyway why are we skiing why we, in general like why do we have to go crappy? in the wilderness right exactly <laughs> like it's nature and it's nature where man didn't ever go why would we start going there in mass now and why is that good like and i i get like trying to sustain the industry but as an industry that wants to protect it, like you kind of wonder, like that's what's causing the stress to the environment, right? Like I don't, to yin and yang. There's something else there, like I said. Yeah, no, it is dirty, and dark it, secret. Nobody wants to talk about. Yeah, I think the more honest we are with what we're doing, and you know that does have impact. You know, I think uh, honesty and real data is is going to help us, but I don't think it's really going to solve anything because, like you said, like what we're doing is just bad. Really? If you think about it. Yeah. If we're playing that game, if we're playing a zero sum game, we should just stop skiing. 
but we're not going to do that. So let's try to just be as le- like least destructive as possible. Right. 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 If you still have a resort, like, you know, we want to get, so we're trying to get more people in the ski industry, right? Well, how is that going to be sustainable long-term if it's already destructive? Right. Like, and that's where, you know, that's where we're looking at the resorts to say, look, you gotta, you gotta make sure that you run a cleaner operation. You run, you know, zero emissions, like, you know, environmental friendly, because we're trying to get more people to go to a place where we're trying to protect that environment. So it's, it's a very important thing, especially for the people running the industry. And and that's, you know, kind of where it goes, yeah. I think. Yeah. No, it's spot on. So we'll see. We're trying to do our best. Like that's it. And again, places that tear down their, their lift because they have no snow is not great. But, and then, you know, I asked the question to the I'm like, should we just start moving further North? Like, is that the answer? And he's like, some places have started doing that. I mean, the Alps, you really can't do that. That's the problem. The Alps are the Alps. Like they're just, they are where they are. Right. And if so, you know, there's, there's nowhere else to go, but if you're you in Canada, say they're trying to put ski areas higher and higher, higher elevations and yeah. keep moving. Yeah. So it's again, one door closes, another one opens, you know, you keep moving up, up and up and up. Where's the next place you go? M A R S Mars. Bitches. There you go. <laughs> Olympus Mons. It's there. Do you go ski Olympus Mons? Be like, woo! I want to ski to Olympus. Mount Olympus? No, Olympus Mons. Because of the way Mars, I guess, because of the the, um, the way the the mountain ranges are there, it's just one like kind of like tall mountain. Mm-hmm. It isn't like a range. I forget something about the way the tectonics of the planet work. I looked it up. Olympus, once, Olympus Mons to Mons Venus. That's all you need. That's all you need. Boom. Tap it to Mars. Well, that wraps up the ski news. <laughs> and as we alluded to earlier in our main topic here, we have a conversation with our pal, Mike Chait. He is the communications manager at JPEAK. I love he has a great story of how he got there. His journey from the Midwest up to Vermont. A very cool guy, a very cool story. We think you're going to dig it. Check him out, Mike Chait. And we have another very special guest this week. This gentleman I met about a month and change ago at a Ski Vermont event in New York. And then we also caught up with each other at the Snowbound Expo just last week. He's got a lot of stuff going on in his world right now. His resort is opening in a couple of days. They just had a big sale, which everyone's been talking about, at least in the Northeast. So a big welcome to Mr. Mike Chait from J-Peak. Mike, (laughs) welcome. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Brian. Thanks, Mario. And your official title is is Director of Marketing Communications. Ah, no way. Uh, no? Communications manager. It's great. I love it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I was trying to give you a promotion. You know, it's yeah. the holiday season, right? I, I don't got time for that one, Brian. <laughs> There's too much skiing and boarding to do to be dealing with all these like <laughs> social media and press releases and whatnot, right? Uh, that's great. I I appreciate uh the the shoes that I'm I'm coming in to fill are pretty hefty. So I, I love it the way it is. It's a great place to work and and uh they know what they're doing. So I trust everything that they're doing moving forward. Yeah, you know, I I I always we always love JP. We love skiing there. Um it's just been so interesting 
this whole, you know, last six years, uh, you know, where, I mean, was it the receivership? Is that what it was officially called before the sale? Yeah, that's what it was called. Um, a, a federal receivership. So basically there was a high powered attorney overseeing the resort, um, from, from Florida. Um, and, uh, you know, allowing the the leadership to continue to drive the company in, in the right direction and the staff there to keep doing what they're doing so well. Um, but, uh, you know, things had to get passed by um, that high powered attorney, essentially. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. And, you know, when we were up at Snowbound, um, you know, your your boss, Mr. Steve Wright, had a, did a great podcast with a steward over at storm skiing and they did it live there and they were going over the whole process. And, you know, he went into some pretty good details about what it was like there the last six years. And, uh, you know, I, I would definitely recommend anyone want more information, check that one out because that was, that was a really cool, it was a really cool conversation because again, as skiers and boarders, we just kind of show up and we're like, Oh man, there's a line. Oh, why isn't this like this? It's like, you guys were on like, pins and needles and uh yeah i know you've only been there for a couple months now but like the the crew that was there i mean pins and needles for six years not knowing you know what could happen so it's it was pretty wild i was kind of a a fly on the wall per se um you know i I live not far south of jay um and i've I've been in the industry working at a different resort for the last 16 years and so I, i was watching very closely and you know jay was like um kind of a home away from home for me anyway, where we'd steal off and, and ride up there. Uh, you know, really any chance we'd get, um, it always stayed open later as well. And so it was a good spot to shoot up to and get some late season turns as well. And also, you know, sneaky pow days and and whatnot. So I had a pretty good understanding of what was going on. Um, I had a lot of friends through through all of it that worked up there and were embedded in the community and, and kind of hearing firsthand from them um, allowed me to at least um, feel the emotion. And, and certainly um, it, it was a heavy time for a lot of people. And what was really cool about it to see from afar was, is those who stuck with it, which is the majority of their, um, their core team there and, uh, how much they believed in, um, Jay and they believed in the, the future that Jay has and, and, um, how much they believe in, in Jay Peak as a brand and as a mountain and as a, as a family and a community. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's really cool well. to see the way that Steve kind of, you know, steered that ship over the last six years to get everyone to develop the level of comfort that got them and got all of you to where you are now, which is awesome. Yeah. They've been, they've been very, very frank with their, their, everybody, their, their team, their stakeholders um, throughout all of it. Um, Transparent, honest, um, and that develops trust. And that also um, keeps, keeps your team tight. You know, when, when everybody can believe in each other, they want to support one another and that keeps the machine moving. Right. Oh yeah. That's critical. Especially when you're in, yeah, kind of tumultuous times. So I said, we're going to wait to talk about Jay. (laughs) Everyone loves talking about it. You guys are opening in two days. Like it's, it's, I've never heard anyone say anything bad about it, but before we get to that, officially, before we get to that, let's talk about. Mike Chait and his journey. So 
Where did you grow up? And do you remember the first place you ski or snowboarded at? <laughs> I remember it well. Yeah, man. Uh, so I grew up um, just just outside of Chicago, just north of the city, um, right on on Lake Michigan, and it was windy and and cold at times, and the winter winters were harsh, um, and I loved it. You know, we'd have school get canceled because it was so cold or or whatnot, and we'd, we'd go sledding. You know, um, so that was always fun, and I I started riding uh, at this mountain. Uh, this little company called Vale owns it now. Um, it's one of their few. And vale is that how's that spelled? V A L E? Uh, something like that. Uh, they they own it now. It's called Wilmot Mountain. Uh, it's just just north of the Illinois Wisconsin border. And um, tiny little hill. I don't know quite the vertical. It's, it's shockingly low. Um, you know, if you if you were to ride down the front face on it. In, and, you know, in control at a good clip, you'd make it to the bottom somewhere between, you know, seven to 10 seconds, I'd say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty wild. But uh, it was an awesome experience. You know, they had night skiing and um, we could go up after school and, you know, lie to our parents about where we were going and, and spend the evening up there, you know, at the library. Um <laughs> And we could raise hell as kids and and figure it all out. Um, you know, it was like forty five minute drive, so we could we could make it happen. Um, it was it was a cool place. It was icy. It was uh, it was it was core, and they they turn out so many numbers there because it's so close to the city. It's not too far from Milwaukee too, and um, it, it's remarkable what they do there. So you know, it makes sense why they'll bottom up because of their market but uh as as far as i went as a kid um me and my buddies we raised hell at that place we had a blast 200 <laughs> well, feet of vertical 200 all right cool i was and gonna say like 160 so yeah and i think they are rounding up too yeah it looks like it's closer right. to like 184 or something 186 <laughs> so there you go that's Hey man, that's, that's the best places, you know? So did you start snowboarding first? Yeah. I, uh, I never really skied. Um, my parents took me when I was a little kid to some place in Wisconsin and I, I was pretty scared to go down the steep park cause I didn't know how to control myself. And, um, so I didn't really do anything with it, but I loved the experience, Brian. I loved it, man. The, the, the lodge and the, the getting the gear on and being outside and the smell of the smoke and, and everything. I loved it all. And um, so, you know, I was probably, uh, I'd say 14 or 15 years old and my best friend, uh, Elliot, who I still am very close with, uh, he um, reached out and said, Hey man, the, synagogues taking a trip up to Wilmot. Let's go. Come on, come with me. I've, I've snowboarded a couple times. It's freaking awesome, man. And so I said, all right, I'll try it. So I rented a snowboard and they, you know, it included a lesson, um, which is awesome. And probably why I ended up preaching the importance of lessons for so long in my life. But, uh, yeah, I took a lesson and the guy, you know, had us going up and falling off the top of the chairlift within 10 minutes and, you know, eating shit up there. And, um, and we, we had a great time with it and I figured a few things out and I got home and my parents said, well, how did it go? I said, this was, this was awesome. I got to do this. And we, we rolled over to this place called the shred shop, which is like the, 
the spot, um, the shop in Chicago, real core shop, um, board shop. And uh, I worked out a deal with them. They gave me a loan. I, I had whatever money I saved up from work. Uh, I put that down and then I paid them back for everything. I bought a full setup and I never looked back, man. It was, it made it, I made it a thing. That's great. Oh, that is awesome. So you were like 14, 15, you said when you started? Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in there, you know, it, it wasn't too much longer after that, that, you know, we, we started mixing cars into the deal and, you know, so-and-so has a car, let's pile That's into game there. changer. Yeah. You know, we had our, our methods. I, I'm not going to go into those as this is being recorded, but our ways <laughs> of coming up with some money to pay for gas to get there and back and hey, donuts statute on of limitations has expired <laughs> probably at this point. <laughs> uh, well, we, we had a game and it was, it was very successful in order to make that happen. And, um, <laughs> Three nobody got hurt. Market. Nobody got hurt and uh, nobody was taken advantage of. So it worked out okay. Everybody was a willing <laughs> participant. Yeah. It's cool, mom. Yeah. Don't worry. I don't think Vale has the same season pass system as they had back then in the 90s, but you know, whatever. Mm. Okay. We all can just, <laughs> our minds are wandering where this goes, but we all, it's all in good fun. Let me make one another one of these Caucasians and maybe I'll tell you. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so you're a teenager, you're skiing Wilmot. How do you, how does your, uh, your twenties kind of play out and how do you end up getting into the mountains? So, uh, my, my parents were teachers, they were naturalists and, um, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say hippy dippy, but uh, they like nature and they they believe in learning about it and, and value, valuing the earth. So they always had me in these programs, um, educational programs in the summertime and, and whatnot, where uh, we would escape to Wisconsin and we would learn about, uh, you know, the geological history up there, because there's actually there's a lot of um, there's a lot of cool geological history uh and it's not actually flat in all places and there's some cool stuff so mountain biking was actually really popular very very early on up there um and rock climbing there was a lot of uh granite and or um excuse me limestone up there you could climb uh, a place called devil's lake had some really it was gorgeous and bluffs and whatnot so you'd hike and and do all that stuff and i i loved it and you know fast forward a bunch of years i was in college uh, in Chicago, downtown Chicago at Columbia college studying photography. And I went out, my sister had a job in Vermont. She worked in, um, broadcast journalism and came out to visit her, uh, Trey Anastasio band guy from fish was playing in in Burlington, go figure. And she had <laughs> tickets and she said, Hey, I got tickets for you. Come on up. You know, it's all access. You, know, you can't say no. So I grabbed, you You're know, in college the, at this point. I'm in college, so I, oh, I grabbed dude. the closest, dumbest friend I could find and said, hey, you want to do an overnight drive with me out to Vermont? We'll, we'll stay for two nights, and then we'll drive back for Monday. And, uh, and Isn't said, Fish, like, from Burlington? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're from right around here. Um, they Only a couple of them live around here still, but, yeah, it's that's hometown for those guys. Nice. Uh, you know, so we, we had to say yes, and we came out, and uh, I saw the – I saw the landscape as soon as the sun came up because you know, it was dark when we got here, but uh, 17 hours later, um, <laughs> I saw the landscape and I, I said, holy crap, this is like 
this is like what, everything I love about Wisconsin on steroids, you know, the, the mountains or the, the bluffs that I love, you know, the green rolling bluffs up there are more mountainous in Vermont. They're taller. They're a lot more vast. There's rocky peaks. And, um, you know, that's, that's pretty cool. And so then I, you know, over the course of a couple of days, I started to learn a little bit more. My sister was living on this old farm, um, converted dairy farm into a, into a sugar bush and, a um, you know, land trust with some trails on it and stuff, typical Vermont story. <laughs> and, um, and I started learning about the economy and how keeping dollars locally was so important and, uh, how, you know, there's a strong emphasis on organic farming and sustainability and, uh, you know, just slowing down the speed and the rate at which things were being developed. And, you know, that certainly got a lot of wheels turning in my mind that uh, there's there's a place out there that doesn't have a strip mall in every corner. And, um, you know, that that's remarkable. And there's still a country drive in every direction. And, um, you know, it, it was it was pretty remarkable to me. So it, it got a lot of wheels turning and went back to the city, uh, continued on my way for a while and. And then I think this is this is the part I was sharing with you that you uh, <laughs> you'll appreciate hearing again, I'm sure. So, I'm, you know, it's like fast forward quite a ways and it's Christmas time and I'm walking down State Street where all the stores are and the windows and all the people. And uh, I'm working on a, a photo shoot of sorts. and I'm going from place to place. And, you know, it's like shoulder to shoulder with people walking down the side of the road. And uh, I see this guy coming towards me, this this old guy. And, you know, I'm to my left is a brick wall. So I, I kind of like get parallel to the brick wall. I move my shoulders out of his way so that he can um, have the right of way. You know, I'm just trying to be courteous and stay out of the dude's way. And he looks at me and he tenses up his shoulders and he knocks right into me like I'm on the glass playing hockey. And he's trying to check me into the glass. This guy's got to be like 80 something. And, you know, a frail old man. And uh, he knocks right into me and he looks me square in the eyes and he just goes, asshole. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. You know, I was so put off by this because I was trying to do something nice. You know, I was trying to be kind. And um, and and this guy went out of his way to try and, you know, put a damper on that. And I ended up walking behind him for a couple of blocks and I was saying some things to him and, you know, kind of confrontationally, but I wasn't looking to start a fight with the guy. I just needed to kind of read him the riot act, tell him how I felt. And I got back to my apartment after that and I thought to myself, you know, you just followed an old man down the road, you know, saying, saying things to him, like who actually cares? You know, why would I stoop so low as to, as to do something like that? And for all I know, the guy could, could have dementia or something like that. And, and he didn't know up from down, you know, and, and why couldn't I have just let him do his thing and go on about my business and continue to spread positivity, regardless of where he might be in his life. And I really thought long and hard about that. And, uh, probably three or four days later, I called my sister up and I said, Hey, Lisa, you got a spot for me in your apartment. You got a, you got an extra room there I can rent. Um, you know, would you mind? And, uh, she said, yeah, come on out. And so I stayed there, um, got my feet planted for a little while. I had no, no idea what I was going to do. Um, the, the first thing I did when I got out there, any money I had saved up, I spent on gas and food and I just drove 
all over the state of Vermont. I, I picked up a gazetteer, one of these, you know, road atlases for every every dirt road and, and paved road in the state. And uh, I, I drove as many of them as I possibly could because I, I couldn't wait to just see more of it and get to know it, you know. So how yeah, old were you cool. when you, the first time you went to Vermont then? So I was uh, 20. Well, the first time I went to Vermont, um, I was probably 19. And then I came out, uh, I was, you know, a couple of years later. So I was 21. Okay. So yeah, yeah so I was and fresh. <laughs> it's funny. Cause like the first time I was ever in Vermont, I think I was 19 also. <laughs> this that I remember maybe when I was like a tiny, tiny little kid, we were there, but my parents, like, it's funny. They skied, but they were, my parents were the kind of people that as soon as the kids were born, and myself, my sister and I were both adopted, but it was like, as soon as we came around, it was an excuse for them to not do anything anymore, <laughs> you know? So like, they're like, oh, we used to go to like Africa on safari and we went to <laughs> South America. We used to go skiing in Vermont. And then like, as soon as we came around, it's like, we can't do anything now. And uh, so when I was a, a teenager, it's funny, I actually went with my ex-girlfriend's father and brothers up to Mount Snow to do, to go mountain biking. <laughs> and I remember it was right when like Princess Diana died for whatever reason. Mm. That was like what was going on in the world. I remember going to Mount Snow and being like, this place is amazing. So I was into mountain biking. I was playing hockey. I really wasn't into skiing yet. I skied like three times in my life at that point. But I remember being there being like, this is so cool. Like you said, the lodge, the smells and it's the summer. So you're not getting the same, those winter smells, but I was a hockey player. So like I could almost like take the smells from the arena and like plug it into that lodge and be like, oh, I know what this is going to be like. I'm going to like it. <laughs> but Vermont, it yeah. does, there's something that it has. And maybe it is the, you know, the green mountains. It is the, the vistas, the, the elevation. There is something that, you know, the old John Muir, you know, the mountains are calling and I must mm -hmm. go. It, it definitely has that sort of vibe, like in real life, like you can really experience that. And especially when you're at that sort of age where you're kind of open to new things and new experiences, like it really has an impact. Yeah, I it it opened a lot of eyes to me uh, or for me, you know, where I realized that um, you know I had a lot of gratitudes. I, I was never too stoked about where I grew up, um, uh, but I'm it, it it was grounding, you know. It, it allowed me to realize that uh, I, I had it really good, and and my education was strong, and and the schools I I was able to go to were great, and they you know they had a strong emphasis on fine arts and, and those things that have kind of fallen to the wayside in so many places. And, um, Vermont kind of helped me understand that as well. Um, for sure. And uh, interesting, just quick fact, uh, my sister and I also, Brian are adopted. There you go. So, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of fun. Cool connection we got here then. Right. And actually before we go on any further, so we're talking about Vermont. What I think Perhaps the conversation that that started between us at that Ski Vermont event was about Tomcat. And I was like, <laughs> what is Tomcat? So I made sure I went out and got uh. a bottle today for this podcast. And I, I just poured some and I haven't even tasted it yet. So I'm going to have a little a little try. So thank you. Oh, man. Cheers to uh, cheers. turning me on to this. <laughs> That's good stuff. Ooh, that is very interesting. You're getting a lot of gin and then get a little citrus and smoothness with that barrel aging. It's like a that's nice. It, yeah, it's like a gin that's not a gin. It's almost like a gin cocktail. Yeah. 
Well, it's a, it's a prohibition era drink. You know, they, uh, yeah. they had a lot of extra gin. They had a lot of empty barrels. So they'd store the gin in the barrels and then it would take on all the whiskey flavors and the oaks and the smokes and all that fun stuff. Mm, that is really good. Nice. So we're talking Vermont. You're up there. So you get there. And uh, what's your journey into the, the snow sports world then? <laughs> well, you know, so I figure, uh, I figure I'll be, I'll, I'll make money off of photography. And, um, then I realized exactly what it was going to take for an investment into equipment. Um, digital wasn't there yet. You know, it was still a couple Hasselblads, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, my T model Ford, and I headed off into the mountains with my cousin Ansel, uh, <laughs> We, yeah, I realized it was going to be a challenge. And so it became much more of a hobby. And I just picked up a couple of jobs doing this and that, make some money. And ultimately, uh, I moved in. I, I met a girl, how every story starts. And, uh, she moved into this apartment right on, uh, on the, the mountain road up to Bolton Valley. And I, I I started staying there with her and was like, well, this is cool. That, that access road's awesome. Bolton's a cool place. It's summertime. There was nothing going on up there at the time. And I met, you know, we're up at the bar one night, how every other good story starts. <laughs> and, uh, I met, I met this guy, I, by the way, I got a huge whole head of dreadlocks at this point. Uh, nice. I look way different than I do now. <laughs> And I meet this guy and he says, Hey, with hair like that, you'll never get cold. And I said, yeah, I don't get cold. He said, you should be a snowmaker. <laughs> I said, that sounds really dumb. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> and boy, oh boy, did I have a great time. Wowie. Uh, you know, that, that winter was a blast, um, making snow and, and figuring that all out. And I'm a glutton for punishment and that kind of, was that a Bolton? Is, yeah. Snow? Yeah. Uh, that was that was a fun time, um, and ultimately uh, from there, I you know, without getting into all the details ins and outs, I, I ended up. Uh, I think the following year, I wasn't living there anymore, and I I looked into a job for Smuggler's Notch. I applied for a snowmaking job and said, you know, hey, I've got experience, and um, I want to come work for you. And they didn't call me back. And so I said, all right, well, what else can I do? Well, I could snowboard. Well, I'll try teaching snowboarding. So I took a job teaching snowboarding uh, full time for them. And I worked my butt off and I had a freaking blast and got really into that. And, um, you know, took a professional track there and ended up becoming the manager of the snowboard school there. Um, at and, no, at, at Smuggler's Notch. At Smugs. Okay. Yeah. But Smugs. And, so I did that for a while um, and had a blast, you know, worked really closely with Burton to um, put together the Riglet program that they've got cranking out all over now. And, um, you know, working with kids was always a blast. And so trying to trying to help figure out ways for kids to fall in love with snowboarding in an easier fashion than it was um, between the equipment, the, the methodology and everything. So what's uh, that? What's the Riglet program? So it's, it's basically, um, Burton snowboards put out this, uh, this device called, I mean, the program is more than just a device, but it's a device called a riglet reel and it, it mounts to the nose of the snowboard. It's kind of like a retractable dog leash and it allows you to pull a child around on a flat surface, um, without, you know, pulling their jacket or pushing on their body and it forces them to find their center of mass. And 
So then you add to that equipment that's easier for kids to learn on that's softer and more flexible and, and, um, you know, boots that are easy for them to get in and out of. And instead of just shrinking down adult gear, actually developing gear that is catered towards kids. Uh, and then you, you apply a, a teaching and uh, like a, a learning philosophy to it all that basically says you don't need snow to learn how to snowboard. Um, you know, we started, we brought it to a gym class and we started working on a program there. We brought it to Central Park in the summertime um, and we would teach kids in Central Park at these, these, these big events and um, they loved it. You know, you could pull them around on any surface as long as it was somewhat slippery. You know, I wouldn't do asphalt, but... <laughs> So you put like it actually is a regular snowboard on like grass or or whatever. Yeah, you could. Um, you could. They also started putting out these specific plastic riglet boards that are really durable plastic. And okay, um, you know they don't have edges, so you can use them inside. You pull them around in the living room, and you know they're yes. not going to damage the furniture if you cut in the corners and stuff. Basically, you know, you, you tell your young kids as soon as they can walk, you say, "Here, put your stuffed animal on the snowboard and pull them around." Next yeah. thing you know, the kid okay. sees the snowboard as as a friendly tool or a friendly toy, and uh, so then when you start telling your kid, all right, you get on that board. I'm going to pull you around. They trust it already and they want to do it. Clever, yeah. Otherwise, you know, people, people roll up to a mountain, Brian, and they, they throw their kids into the equipment and they, they say, all right, go take a lesson. And the, the poor coaches have to deal with these kids that are freaking out because it's heavy equipment they've never seen before. Mom and dad just ditched them. Uh, it's, it's snowing sideways and it's windy and cold. And, uh, you know, the whole idea is give them a leg up before you even go to the mountain, you know, yeah. get them, get them prepared for what they're going to get into. So they want to go to the mountain. So the kid wants to go, not just yeah. the parent. Yeah, it's funny during at, at the snowbound, the, the PSI, PSIA, ANCI, whatever the, A-A-S-I. yeah. Um, she was talking, she's like the head of the, the CEO of the, uh, the Eastern division of that. Oh, yeah. And she was talking about, the Austrians, how they teach their kids to ski. Cause you know, here we're like, let's find a hill and throw them down the hill in Austria. They put them on a flat surface and they're like, their whole uh, methodology is we want them to seek out speed. Like we want them to be kind of like moving to the point that they want to find the speed to make their turns. And it's a kind of like, well, that's how you breed racers because again, they're always looking for more and more speed, mm. which I thought, you know, it's probably, trickier as a snowboarder because you can't really you can't find speed like you need to have a, an incline otherwise you get your foot out and you know you're not going to be able to you just hop right in on the fly and go unless you have one of those new kind of burton clip-in bindings that <laughs> dave downing was talking about which seems pretty cool um but yeah like the way we we teach it's it's you know it's cool that you guys kind of rethought about what kids need because it's so easy to like you said, take what the adults do and just give kids the same experience, the same gear when they need, they really do need very different handling. Yeah. Well, the, what you say about flat ground, I mean, that's, that's the other component to it is you, you groom a, you groom a couple of terrain features into a flat area and then you can pull them around on it. Yeah. Um, And so they learn about flexion, extension, um, rotation, you know, all these, all these things that are critical, but they're not fighting against gravity to do it. And they're not risking a hard slam that might hurt. And um, they, they, they fall in love with it. Sometimes it's slower than others, but um, (laughs) in the end, I mean, it, it works great. I've got 
five kids here that are all walking snowboarding proof, you know, snowboarding beasts. It's awesome. Yeah, that is so cool. So then you're teaching snowboarding now at Smugs. How does, what's, what's the next evolution after that? Uh, I ended up, you know, starting to, I started up some of their social media accounts and doing that stuff and writing for their magazines and really capturing the emotion of it in writing and, um, ended up, there was a vacancy in PR and I took over in a PR job there, um, doing that stuff for, for smugs. Whoa. Too much Tomcat. Ooh, too much Tomcat, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I was doing the PR thing and obviously I'm passionate enough. So that was easy peasy to, to, um, to, to talk about for, uh, you know, to tell the story to the masses really. Um, COVID came, really shook things up, um, you know, and especially for, for small independent resorts, that was, it was really scary. Um, and so I went a different direction, started uh, working with my wife um, to develop a, rebrand a, a photo business. She's been a photographer shooting weddings and portraits for about 17 years prior to that. And so we started redeveloping that that direction and working together, which is like our favorite thing on earth to do is just be together, work together. And um, so this this J job came open in September, you know, JJ Tolan, the, the former director of communications up there, uh, took a job at his his former stomping grounds down at Sugarbush. And, and, you know, all of a sudden the internet starts exploding with, holy crap, who's going to take this job? Where's this, you know, who's awesome job alert, you know, who's, <laughs> who's putting in all these groups I'm in and, and snow sport professionals and everything. Like who's and people putting probably in for freaking this out job? Too, like all what's happening to Jay, like, are they going to shut down or get sold yeah, what, China? What are they going to do without the most sarcastic man on earth <laughs> telling their tale? Who knows? And, uh, and so ultimately I, I put my name in the, in the drawing and uh, they must've pulled it out of a hat or something. <laughs> I don't think I'm qualified for it, but boy, oh boy, they, they trust me. So, holy shit, we're going to, we're going to do this. One of 600 <laughs> people who applied for the job and you came out on top. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. Uh, I started up there in September and that was um, the day before the auction occurred. Um the day PGR. before the auction is your first day. <laughs> that was the day before. Uh, like, welcome I, to your first day. We have no idea how day two is going to be. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, you know, I'll say this. Um, I guess one thing that was helpful is is that I, I did know uh, I did know Steve, um, you know, casually through uh, industry stuff, but also, you know, we have a, a common commonality between us and that's the grateful dead and we both really really dig the grateful dead and there's something there's an unwritten rule in there that you know it, it, it is kind of a big family and so like there's that has there, stick together or something yeah there is kind of a level of trust in there to an extent so i think that really kind of helps uh is there any yeah. chance you maybe like drop acid together like 20 years ago uh 20 years ago well, calendars 15 years like ago, 20, you, 20 days been... ago, man. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. 
kidding, of course. Um, we actually had a pretty good acid joke at Snowbound too at that uh, <laughs> that media event. Yes, I think they're giving us those uh, water bottles and there was some uh, paper yeah. in there, and you know we were joking that maybe it was acid in there, but <laughs> I believe sadly it was not. We had it wasn't. Good. It wasn't. But the blue ink on the paper did dye my tongue. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it's probably yeah. We, we were hoping for the best, but you know. <laughs> Yeah, I had to work the next day, so it's probably for the better. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, so I, I so I start this job, and uh, right out the gate, um, you know, Steve and and Kim Hewitt, who's the marketing director, uh, they gave me everything I needed to be successful. You know, they gave me all the support that I needed, and they gave me all the trust uh, that I also needed, so that I could sit down and start working. Um, they gave me space so that I could crank out what I needed to do, but they also had the trust in me. Um, they believed in me and, and, and gave me all the information I needed to be successful going into something as intense as that. What was and, that energy like then that first day? Dude, it was heavy. It was really heavy. Uh, you know, Steve does a remarkable job of just being cool. And, um, and, in something like that, I mean, there's no other way to approach it. Really, you can't you can't let yourself stress about it because it's it's the direction. Um, ultimately, you know, the sale that of that resort um, was a relief. You know, uh, there was a giant sigh of relief that was breathed throughout that company, um, but it it was intense. <laughs> it was definitely intense. You know, and and when when PGRI put that initial bid in they were they were looking for a long time and they were they were thinking about jay for a long time so it was it was calculated and um you know there were there were two other companies that uh that came in and ended up i think the total amount of time we figured it'd be maybe two hours long the auction and uh you know five (laughs) hours later (laughs) yeah five hours later there's still media camped outside our offices and um you know, there's flying ants buzzing all around because it was like a weird hot fall day, and <laughs> uh, it, just to add to the chaos. And um, and next thing we know, it's done. Like right around five o'clock, everything's done. And um, it was kind of a a moment where everyone said, "All right, well, I guess we can go home now." Um, but again, that sigh of relief it was it was palpable, man. Um, but it was. People were a little nervous. They were relieved, um, and ultimately, as time went time went by and it got closer and closer to the actual uh, closing of the sale, you know, because like a like on a house, you don't actually own the house until you take that stupid photo next to the realtor holding the keys, right? <laughs> and you get the the deed in your hand, and you got your you know your signed loan for a bajillion dollars and a and a fake smile on your face because you're freaking out. You don't know what you're gonna do. Um, <laughs> that didn't happen until, you know, just a few weeks ago. And so in that interim time, it was, uh, there was a lot of work to get prepped for it. And, and then as soon as that closing occurred, um, it was like, welcome to the family coming from, from the guys at PGRI. It was awesome. And uh, I think once, um, you know, Vern Greco, the CEO and, and Mark Fisher, the CFO, they came came down and, and addressed the entire staff at Jay, um, everyone who was working and a couple of uh, other folks that slipped through. And it was really cool. They, uh, 
they were real. They were honest. They were, um, they were made funny jokes. They, uh, you know, admitted where they may have, uh, tripped up along the way. And, um, you know, so there, there was a level of humility that they showed people. And, um, I think it really shared to the staff that, um, this is a, a really good direction to go. Um, it was, it was a really, really cool meeting. And, and again, what was expected to last for like two hours, you know, it included lunch in the middle of the day and they ended up having to say like, Hey, we're going to do questions and answers, but we're running out of time here. So you might as well start eating, you know, they're dismissing <laughs> tables like we're at a wedding while they're still conducting this meeting. And that's because everybody was interested and in asking really good questions and they had really honest answers. And, um, it's been really cool. They're uh, a, a great company to, um, to bring JP into the future. It's going to be awesome. That's yeah. That's really good to hear. Cause so the initial bid was 58 million, right? That's what came yeah. in over the summer in August. Yeah. And then it took uh, like another month where they actually had the, the auction taking place. Yeah. I called it the, the Jays between that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a dead reference in case you didn't pick up on it. Ah. But, uh, yeah. Cause that, that happened in August and um, you know, they were kind of like the days between um, and uh, that was, it was kind of, I think a lot of people uh, saw the, the headlines and figured, oh, cool, Jay got sold. You know, there's a company that's going to buy him now. That's the price tag. Um, but, you know, there's, it's a lot heavier than that when it comes down to it. And there's a lot more formalities and red tape and everything. So that was, um, that was the initial bid. Uh, I think the, the, I'd never heard this term before myself, but I think the, the gift horse bid or something like that. Gift uh, horse bid. Something like that. Huh. It, that's that's over my pay grade, Brian. Yeah, but yeah. I'll tell you what, it's, it, it it got things rolling, you know. And then at the last minute, um, these two other companies slipped in and said, "All right, let's do this." So it went to auction. Yeah, and they jacked the price up eighteen million. So they sure did. Yeah. But uh, you know, as as the guys at PGRI say, um, they really they they continued to go for it because they saw it still as a worthwhile investment. And yeah. Um, that means a lot to the community at Jay Peak. Was there any trepidation on your end taking a job at Jay with kind of things in the balance? Um, no, not really. I I wanted to be part of that team, and even if it was just for a month and a half, so be it. Um, mm -hmm. I really wanted to know what it was actually like on the inside of of such an awesome company. Um, you know, I was kind of, I think I was saying this standing around drinking coffee with you. You know, I was I was. It was almost like uh, I was being told, you know, to never appreciate anything that company ever did from other employers in the industry. And that was that wasn't very fair because there's a lot that you can admire about that company um, from afar. And somebody in communications, uh, if they if they don't admire what that company has been doing throughout all of this, they they're. <laughs> Maybe they want to change jobs, you know, find a different <laughs> field because um, they handled that with poise and um, they they stuck to their guns. And they I mean, uh, you know, JJ and, and Kim and Steve really did did wonders for that place throughout that receivership. It was really cool. I think, you know, as someone like yourself who's been at a couple of different resorts and, and had different experiences, you probably can see where 
the value in leadership can really steer the, I don't know if it's the motivation, the belief in a vision. You know, when you have someone like Steve who, you know, you hear him talk and you're like, yeah, man, whatever you say, like, I'm with you. Where, you know, other folks, you know, at a previous, another place or people in the industry talking negatively, it's almost like when you, as a kid, you like, I want to be a baseball player. Then you kind of hear like all the dirty, nasty stuff, steroids. <laughs> and you're like, oh, but they were my heroes. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, I had like, like Daryl Strawberry and Mark McGuire on my walls. I'm like, oh, they were all like cheaters and cokeheads and roidsers. You know, it's like, you know, it's almost like pulling back the curtain and things aren't what you seem or aren't what they seem. And then you find someone who's kind of embodies what you thought it was. And it just makes it so much better because you've seen kind of the, the negative aspect of it. <laughs> I'm still riding that high, man, to be honest. Uh, I come home and I see my family and it, you know, to be honest, it's challenging for us. My, my wife and I have been working together from home for a good chunk of time now and we love it. And uh, for me to take this job where I'm commuting uh, 40 minutes to an hour every day and there's no service, I can't even get on a phone call or do any of that. I just have to listen to these podcasts and (laughs) (laughs) rotting your brain. Yeah, gosh, it's just (laughs) killing me slowly. Making me Uh, dumber. (laughs) Uh, point being though i get home at the end of the day and i'm tired and i really i miss my family tremendously but i still smile about it because i feel great coming out of that place and i if they make it really easy to work hard does that make sense a hundred percent i think we've all been in those you know jobs at at one point in our life where yeah you you know you you're banging something out and you're like wow i didn't realize it like four hours went by because you just you're you're in the flow state and you're kind of you're almost doing what you feel like you're meant to do. And it just feels natural. It, it is. It, it feels great. Um, and, you know, the, as far as writing and, and whatnot goes, I think, you know, looking at voice, the, the voice that, uh, that I used to write in um, was way harder uh, than the voice I can write in now, because this is a very, uh, conversational and casual writing style. It's, it's, um, natural, it's honest and natural, and you can, you can throw in some sarcasm and, and just be real, um, rather than it, it's not your typical marketing where you're just sugarcoating everything and, um, you know, throw a couple exclamations in there and maybe we'll sell some more. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a totally different, um, different objective and uh it it encompasses the emotion that we all tie in to skiing and and snowboarding and the industry and mountain life um it 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 allows you to reflect on the challenges that we all endure to make it to the mountain to bring our families to the mountain to spend our money at the mountain um it's just great it's it's really fun work it's really fun work to work at jay that's awesome. So what is like a typical day for you at Jay? Um, a typical day, I'll, I'll, I'll drive up there. I, I bought a motorcycle to, to offset the miles in the summertime. So I have this. Oh, very cool. What kind? Uh, it's an old Honda uh, CX 500. And this dude bought, you know, worked on it during COVID. He's living with his folks and put some work into it. So, I, you know, I can't go too fast on it. Cause I, I don't know if you know the secret, Brian, I don't actually know how to ride a motorcycle. I bought it when I got this job. So, uh, devil's in the details on motorcycles, yeah. right? 
you know, have, you, like have a, you owned motorcycles before? No. <laughs> Good for you, man. <laughs> no, not at all. I rode one. Uh, my my ex-wife had a Harley. I rode it once on the mountain road at Smugglers. I broke a hundred and a t-shirt and, and skate shoes and shorts and a helmet that I couldn't buckle. Uh, <laughs> and I parked it and I said, I'm never doing that again. I don't have the control. And, Whoa. you know, here I am and it's more of a necessity than anything. Cause I don't want to drive a Toyota Tundra up that road every day if I don't have to. So 10 miles to the gallon. Oh man. So I bought this thing and, and I'm learning how to ride it. It's fun. So typical nice. day. Um, you know, I scare the crap out of myself. I get into work. It's beautiful drive. We come alive. High fives. Boom. Yeah. You know, adrenaline's pumping. I haven't even had any coffee yet and I'm buzzing. Um, yeah, I come in and I, I've got my my lists. I check in on social and make sure everything's still running smoothly. I'll make myself a list of what to do and start hammering out. Usually there's um, writing I got to do for, you know, outbound emails and communications of that nature. Um, a couple of fires I might have to put out here and there. Um, you know, following up with guests and, and just, it's really important to all of us that we're humans that represent Jay and, and, and JP can the community sees that, you know, if they reach out to us, they can actually talk to a real person. And again, it's, it's about that trust, right? It's about being honest with people. Um, you, if you screw something up, you, you eat it, you know, you, t- you take it and you say, yep, that, oops, that's on me. Sorry about that. Um, you know, I, and in the end, people appreciate that. It's in this day and age, especially, they want to talk to humans. Oh man, like I know so many people that over the last you know two years. I mean, the last two years, yes, running a business has been a whole nother level of complicated because of COVID and lockdowns. And you know, uh, the resort that owned your initial Wilmot Mountain, let's call that whatever they're called, trail. Uh, I've known people who bought their Epic passes and tried to reach a human being on the phone to find out status. You know, it's end of November. Where is my Epic pass? And just on, on hold for hours. I mean, you know, what sort of confidence does that put in you as a consumer? I mean, granted they're screwed because where they live, those are the trail, those are the resorts that are under that pass. So that's not, they have a choice, but to treat your customers that way. I mean, it's, I guess that's what happens when you get that big and you don't really have to, to care and put in the effort anymore. Yeah. It, that's it. That's <laughs> you summed it up right there. You know, it's, it's yeah. important to still it's like have being a an insurance company. Real face. Right. Like, hey, what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, that that's one of the tickets, right? And it, it takes a lot of extra time and, uh, it takes, you know, um, it takes staffing to do that. Uh, but in the end, it's worth it because you create trust within your stakeholders and your, your community. And um, you have people that want to come back time after time after time. And if something goes awry, they might have uh, some understanding with them for it. And, you know, if, if you have to break the news that there's been a... a uh, large, you know, scandal going on, or if, you know, a, a local publication say breaks that news for you and, and you have to face the public and say, yeah, this, this happened in our company, but that's not who we are. And that's not who we will be. 
that's where people believe in you. And I think what, what those guys did that I had nothing to do with really tells that story, you know, and it's living, walking proof that, um, you know, just being real, being honest and, and telling it how it is and keeping your head focused and positive and really, you know, now we're getting hippy dippy, but <laughs> that's, that's the key to it. You know, yeah, I mean, that's just know, the same way we, we teach our kids here in our family. Like it just be real. It's hippy dippy, but you know what? There's, there's a reason why people are drawn to that because it's very natural. It's very human. And you know, a lot of times now with everything being online and social media and people yelling at each other, they don't even know the person or know their whole story. It's like, once you return to that and you experience that again, that humanity, which a lot of us over the last two years have been without, you realize how important it is. Like it really is so critical to have that human touch. And as things get more digital, that analog experience is going to have, I think, more and more value to keep us human until we're officially the matrix, which, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to fight as much as I can while still embracing technology. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you there, Neo. Um, <laughs> <Whoa. laughs> yeah. Morpheus. Uh, I'll tell you, I, um, I was working with, with ski area management magazine, uh, before I took this job at Jay and, and just doing a little bit of writing for those guys and just having, a, a, that was kind of my way of staying fresh in the industry and staying in touch with, with people at different resorts. And, you know, the story that I kept hearing time and time and time again, when talking about, you know, asking people like talking to GMs and, and marketing directors, like, give me some success stories. This, this winter has been a challenge, right? You've had no staff. The snow has been fickle. You know, how, how have you stayed above water and, and kept afloat? Give me some success stories here. And, you know, the ones that were the most successful all said the same thing. It's, and it was, well, we adjusted the way we communicated and we, we just kind of told it how it is. You know, if there's a, crazy amounts of traffic coming up the road and we put it out on Twitter, like, Hey, if you haven't left home yet, don't bother. You know, we never would have done that a couple of years ago, but mm. now we do it and people respond with, Oh crap. Cool. Thanks. Instead of condemning them, you know, or saying, what are you doing to fix your traffic problems? They say, wow, cool. Thanks for saving me that time. I'm going to go do something else now. Yeah. It's Something to be said for that, huh? Yeah, that that's that is a great story. And I know, you know, during the pandemic, there were certain things that resorts had to do. I know a couple places that that I went to, they'd create those little kind of almost like ramshackle cabanas. You know, yeah. they great for the carpenters in the area. You know, you yeah, put one right. of these together, you could rent them out for the season, it, but it allowed people to keep coming together, which again, hippy dippy. But that's what we were all kind of looking to do. And that's what kind of, you know, kept us, kept us human, kept us doing what we love doing. Totally, man. The, the NSAA numbers say it all, right? The, the number of skier visits have been tremendous. And it's because, again, people are realizing, hey, that's a place, that's a safe place we can come together. Let's come together. Um, let's, let's do it. Let's get, get our friends together and let's get out there. Let's hang out together. Let's feel good about it. Um, it's about time people realize that, you know, it's K N O W friends on a pow day. <laughs> I keep saying that and it's gonna, you know, I'm sure people are sick and tired of hearing it, but man, you should oh, man. just put those in stickers all over the, the lift at Jay. 
Yeah, really. Every chairlift should have one of those. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be with your friends on a powder day? <laughs> I never, I, unless you have like really lame friends, it's like, but why would you have lame friends in the first place? Yeah. I mean, I, create, I know, I know I do, but I have like summertime friends and then I have like wintertime friends. Yeah. hundred you know, percent. I think we're all kind of like that. Right. My wife and I say that around here all the time, you know, is it, we've come to terms with the fact that, uh, some of those friends, it's not so much friends out of convenience. It's just that we have so much stuff going on when we're not at the mountain, but when it, when the snow's on the ground, we make that time to spend together. And that's our opportunity to make those connections and to, to fortify those connections. And, and that's okay because those connections remain even during those summer months when we can't get together. Um, and, you know, maybe we have a fire out once in a while and we, we hang into the wee hours of the night, um, you know, but in the end, it, it, it's, it's about, it's about those friendships. It's about those relationships. It's about those memories that we all make together and, uh, those high fives, those parking lot beers, those, uh, you know, the muddy, muddy feet on the dogs coming up and jumping on your snow pants. You know, that's, that's part of it. That's the life we live. That's the experience. Yeah. So speaking of experiences, what can people expect now that, you know, Pacific resort group bought Jay, like what can people expect this season coming up there? Um, great question. That's the More question Canadian, every, everybody's asking. Well, yeah, the border's open again. So we're going to see, you know, um, huge Canadian numbers again this year. Hashtag more uh, Canadians. <laughs> uh, you know, so that's awesome to welcome back, you know, that huge, huge portion of our market up at JP. Um, but really PGRI isn't making tremendous changes. And uh, that applies to a couple of things, really. Um, you know, people are saying, all right, cool. What, what new stuff are they going to build? You know, what are they doing for CapEx? And um, you got to remember that the price tag was, you know, 18 million more than they wanted it to be for, to, to begin with. Um, and so they, they kind of need to come in and get settled and, um, and kind of figure out how things are running before they're going to start tossing a lot of money at it, but that at the same time, uh, they're not going to be taking things away and, um, and making massive changes because that's not their style. Uh, they fully recognize, and they've guys have said this before. Christian Knapp is a, is a strong advocate, the chief marketing officer. He, he, um, he says it, he does a really good job on his Twitter of, of kind of describing how those guys feel towards um, changes at JP and, you know, recognizing that um, it's the team at J that carried through this receivership and um, to come in and just go making changes there uh, wouldn't be in the best interest of, of the company and either company, you know, either JP or, or PGRI. So, um, you know, we're not going to see too many changes. Something cool that was new that we just started doing um, is, is, with alongside the the PGRI family assist resorts is the um, is the mission affordable uh, quad pack lift ticket pack and uh, you know for two hundred fifty nine bucks you can get four totally uh, transferable lift tickets good any day of the year and so you know, it comes down to like sixty five bucks a ticket um, to come. Ride J, freaking awesome place, man! <laughs> it's like the most real mountain on earth. There's Damn. a lot lesser places that are more in your same state. Yeah, yeah, right. Not saying any names. Oh, well, protect. Yeah. 
everybody's everybody's got something cool going on um you know uh everybody's got their own little niche and that's okay um now at the same time uh some have uh better deals than others and that's just what you get in any diverse industry really um so just looking at that place that i'm not going to mention that i was talking about and just curious to see what their lift ticket price is. If I were to buy it, one thirty-five at the window. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Hey. 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 You you can get, hey. If people are going to pay it, God bless you. Right. One thirty-five. Okay. <laughs> and now you guys are still doing the indie pass this year, right? Yeah, still on indie. Um, so that's a really cool thing. Um, you know, I, I, I think, um, uh, I, I can't speak on what's going to happen with that, but I know that, um, the relationship that's been built, uh, with Doug and, and what he's done with Indie Pass has been awesome for Jay and, and awesome for Indie Pass too. Um, the, uh, the number of folks that haven't been able to muster the, um, the strength and courage to get up to Jay <laughs> and check it out who are on indie and say, well, dude, now we got to do this. Um, there's, there's big numbers and, um, you know, we have, we get like an indie lodging deal too. So you can, you can save on lodging if you're an indie pass holder and, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of good benefits, um, to Andy and give you the opportunity to check places out. I, it's one of my favorite things about being in the industry is the opportunities we have to see other mountains. Cause in the end, Brian, it's like you were saying, and, and I was saying a minute ago, like it, one place might have a, a lift ticket that's through the roof, but it's not like the place is a total dump either. Right. They're, it's, For it's sure. usually pretty sweet. You know uh, I've got, I've got places around here that I love to go. Um, and to be honest, um, I, if I wasn't working in the industry, I might have a job that I could afford a ticket at that price. (laughs) But, um, in the end, I think the experience is great being able to, there's a lot of lifts. They're fast. They get you all over the place. There's, you know, dining on mountain, just everybody's got their own thing and it's okay if, if it's different from one mountain to another. And it should be. And again, there's, there's definitely charms that every mountain has, you know, their own little quirks, their own little, you know, their, their own little epic runs that you're like, ah, this is the best run in this place, you know, and it may not be the best place, the place you want to go, but it may have enough that it keeps you coming back or it, you know, intrigues you enough to go. You heard about it from someone. Oh, you got to try, got to go check out this run at this place. And it may change your mind about this mountain. Well, I'll tell you, you know, as, as somebody who's still 10 minutes away from smugs and, um, you know, my, my wife coaches snowboarding there. I hired her a million years ago, by the way, uh, before she was my wife and she, she still coaches snowboarding up there and, um, you know, we're still going to have passes there. I'm still going to have a great time riding up there. Um, and I'll still be the first person. They used to hate when I said this, when I was doing PR there, but I, I, I'd still be the first person to chain myself to the tower on some of those lifts if they said they were going to replace them. You know, <laughs> the, those double chairs are are good for, for the mountain. And, you know, while they definitely could use an upgrade down low um, where the, the bulk of their volume is, um, especially during busy times, like it, 
it's probably not happening anytime soon. And, yeah. but if it did on the upper mountain, it would change the way that whole place skis, you know, they'd have to widen the trails and that's what gives that place so much character. You'd yeah. start losing powder stashes. You'd open it up for more wind. I say that all the time. Yeah. So sometimes things should remain charming as they are. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, tip of the hat to the ski patrol at Smugs, cause they have to hear, you know, probably a hundred times a day. What do you mean? There's no bathrooms on top of this mountain. <laughs> Right, but come on. Very <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't go to a place like that for bathrooms on top of the mountain. You go there to get down to business, right? This isn't the snow basin. <laughs> right. <laughs> they don't have the gold-plated faucets here. So. Yeah, and, and can you believe they don't have a single chandelier at that mountain made out of antlers? I mean, can you really even call yourself a ski lodge without a uh, without an antler, an antler rear? Is that what they call it? Anter antler rear. <laughs> make it happen man that sounds like a hashtag send it to the urban dictionary yeah well speaking of powder stashes do you have a favorite trail at jay hmm. so that's a that's a heavy question um <laughs> there's a lot of really good zones at jay the, the the thing about jay is that it gets windy up there right and so that wind will move snow from one place to another. And you might have a day where we only get four inches overnight, but you know, you get into one zone over here on this aspect and it's, you know, just below your knee or, you know, mid, mid, just above your boot, um, you know, or four inches skis more like a foot plus. And, uh, and then you get to another aspect and you don't see any of that four inches. So I guess it depends on the day when you ask me, but I find myself, um, I really, on those days where it's just, it just keeps coming and you get the free refills. I find myself going into, uh, right off, um, right below one of the towers for the tram is a little zone called vertigo, right? You see that? I see you looking, you're looking at a map. I got the trail map. Up. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, the vertigo shoots are really fun because you can get it. It's wicked steep at the top, right? And you can mm -hmm. get into them. And uh, you know, if the snow is right, you can really kind of send into it. And uh, it's good steep landings. And then it takes you through, you can get into these little, little nooks and crannies through there, which is what I like. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't need wide open lines. I like to get deep in the trees and, and it doesn't need to be a cut trail or a glade for me to dig it. You should look at my black jacket. It's just covered in lines from the branches. We call it right. sneaking Sally. Here's a new term for you. Sneaking Sally. Add that one to your, your antler ear. Um, you know, here, I'll use it in a sentence, right? Oh man, I, I was riding that line over there. And then I realized over to the right, those willy whackers, I got in there. I was sneaking Sally. Holy cow. It was like waist deep. <laughs> I like it. Sally, it's, you know, when you get off the beaten path and you find all the fresh and you just eat it, you love oh. it. <laughs> I gotta tell you, just looking at this trail map right now, like I got a smile on my face. Like I just, cause got, I've only skied a J once and it was an epic day. And every every year it's like oh, hopefully I'll make it back. Hopefully I'll make it back. And uh, you know, just looking at these again, it's like jogging my memory of like what an epic day it was and why I need to get back this uh, season. Yeah, there's so much fun stuff off the top of the tram on the face and and you know, all down that ridge. You can see it um uh getting down toward like Valhalla and and those zones it, it, where it's really like 
you know, if, if you, if you play your cards, right, you, you just start close to the top and you just keep every run, you just drop a little lower and drop a little lower and drop a little lower. And there's always a fresh line on the mountain you can find always. Yeah. If you look and, and it's not about knowing where to look, it's just about looking. Yeah. You know, you, you slow yourself down, you start peeking through the trees and you find them. Be the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so one last question then. I know Jay is in a very unique spot. It's not, doesn't have the villa. Well, it's got sort of like a, a little villagey thing there. What would you say is your, the best apres spot at Jay? Well, um, you know, you end up at the bull wheel and there's music in there a lot of times. And that's just anytime you can mix live music with the, the buzz you have coming off the mountains. Freaking great. Right. So there's it's just do, amazing how that works on Saturdays at the bull wheel. That's at the bottom of stateside and stateside lodge. Uh, it's so funny how that just like it just it's like almost like a magical formula. Like it's so simple, but like that post skiing and boarding beer and live music. I mean, there is, there's really, you could be at like game seven of the world series and it, it's like, yeah, this, this baseball game is exciting, but that <laughs> beer music ski buzz is just the greatest. It's like the greatest sporting feeling in the world. Yeah, totally. I, there's not nearly as much rhythm in a baseball game as there is when you're making turns down a mountain. Right. Everybody gets into their own rhythm uh, and you, you might be changing your pace a little bit, but that's OK, because songs and, and the rhythm and music changes all the time, too. But it's your you know, it's pace. Usually, exactly. It's your pace. Yeah. And so throughout the day, you're, you're making your turns. you got your rhythm, whether you're listening to music or not. And you get off the mountain. You're surrounded by friends. You have a really tasty Vermont beer. Um <laughs> <laughs> J-Way IPA just came out from 14th Star. It's oh, great, nice. great stuff. We just stocked that. Uh, it's like a hazy IPA. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, it literally just, just landed in the market at, at the resort today. And, uh, we'll have it on draft for Friday's Day for the Devoted. Um, it's going to be a good, it's going to be a good party, man. <laughs> oh. I mean, just getting that beer could be inspiration or motivation enough for people to get up to Jay this winter. It's it's a good place to be. It's <laughs> going to be an awesome winter for us. Come for the beer, stay for the skiing and snowboarding, right? Yeah, sounds good. I'm down. Right? There's a lot of cool dogs around that place too. I like cool the dogs. dogs. <laughs> so stay now, are the you, dogs. <laughs> so what? How? So I had another question that I just sort of sort of thought of how. So when did you stop riding your motorcycle? What, uh, uh, what, what week? What month? <laughs> uh, let's see. We've been making snow uh, consistently for, I think, 15 days. And I rode my bike the day before we fired up. So 16 days ago. Oh, wow. And okay. now, now this is a weird year where like it went from 75 degrees and, and warm and uh, you know, everyone's getting a little nervous. You, you didn't see anybody with a remotely like long fingernail anywhere around the company anywhere around the resort. Right. Cause it's so warm. And we're like, okay, we're talking about opening day coming around the corner here, but like we're wearing short sleeves. Um, and that day, the weather turned throughout the day and, you know, I was busy and I kind of had my mind set to ride that day. It was right after the time change occurred. And, uh, 
you know, I, it was warm and I rode up and as the day's going on, it's just so windy out. It's so windy. And, you know, I, I get in and I just sit at my desk and I, I just work and work and work. And I, sometimes I don't even go outside, at least like right now getting ready to open. And so like in the afternoon, I go outside the office I step outside, dude, it's like 20, 25 degrees colder. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, should have taken the tundra wrap. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, it starts getting dark and I ended up kind of like throwing the towel in for the day and telling my coworkers like, guys, I'm not dressed for this. I got to go. And <laughs> oh man, I, I, it was a, it was a really intense ride home between how dark it was getting, how freaking windy it was, mm. uh, you know, how, how chilly. And, you know, I'm, I got, I got so many kids at home and I, I actually love my wife and yeah. uh, you know, I want to risk your life. <laughs> Sorry, that's, I'm not referring to anybody when I say that, by the way, it's just a general sarcastic remark, but, uh, you know, I want to make it home. And so I'm not screwing around on this thing. I'm not being an idiot. I know I'm a new rider. So like, I have a lot of respect for safety elements of it. Was it like dumb and dumber? Oh my gosh. <laughs> it wasn't far <laughs> off, man. Oh crap. I got home and I was, I was just like, wow, that was okay. Cool. Here we go. And then the next day it was brutally cold and it snowed <laughs> just like totally different game. And it snowed at J peak every day since. Um, and, you know, I think we're, it hasn't been big, you know, giant dumps or anything like that, but I think we're at 20 inches. We've, we've gotten now. Um, That's great. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. It's really, that's a lesson in staying positive. You, Seriously. There's never a need to start cursing at the weather because who knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Amen to that. And on that, that sounds like a perfect spot to wrap it up. Cool. Mike, thank you so much for your time. Where can people get more information about you and JP? Uh, go to jpeakresort.com. Um, we, we do a pretty good job up there. Find us on social media. We, we say a lot of dumb stuff all the time on social. So tune in and you get to listen to it. Um, there's some relevant stuff in there too, I'd say. <laughs> and please, if you haven't been up there, go to JP. If you're in the Northeast, I mean, what are you doing? It's it's a, a great place. It's run by great people, obviously. And it's some of the gnarliest, most fun terrain around in Vermont, in the Northeast. So highly recommend it. Mike, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And everyone, get to Jay. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me. Mario, thanks, man. All right. Thank fun. you so much. All right. We'll chat again soon. Yes. We hope you enjoyed that. If you want more information, we got links in the show notes at skibumpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. Go to the website. You got a few more days. Skibumpodcast.com slash shop. You can pre-order one of these sweet Boom. ski boot t-shirts. Also, everything else is on sale on the, the red boots. Red if boots. You're buying we'll the red boots. Anything, everything's on sale. So please buy something for your loved ones, for yourself. Holiday season's coming up. It's good stocking stuffer. Follow us on the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Untapped, YouTube, at Ski Bum Podcast. Go to our Patreon. 
throws a few bucks every month. That would be great. It'd really help yeah. us out. We, Say, hey, we like you guys. We need some cool. more infrastructure. We want to do some more trips, get some more information, get some cool new people on here. Patreon.com slash ski bump podcast. Is that it? That's a lot of stuff. Chuck Bucket. Thank you so much. The Chuck Bucket. Go check them out. Great way to haul your gear around. Ski bump podcast at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. Thank you so much for listening. We do appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next week. Stay high, stay fluent. See ya.